0: Hello, this is Ed Cohen, you're a broadcast host on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, and I'm coming from San Diego, California, and our special guest today is Sandrine Bardot, who's in Dubai. Let's welcome Sandrine Bardot.
1: Hello, Ed. My pleasure to be with you today.
0: Very nice to see you. And we're going to have a conversation for about 15 minutes about what you do and the world of international HR, global HR, international business, such as it is these days and about changes in your world and about how you are dealing with digitalization and how your customers are dealing with that and a conversation about how companies in GCC are managing in this crazy economy and world of pandemic that we seem to be in. So, Sandrine, how long have you been now in GCC?
1: So, I've been living in Dubai and the UAE since 2007, so it's 13 years now, which is, when I think about it, even to me a great surprise. Because I think like most expats who arrive in, in the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is uh, the GCC, and it's made up of uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Oman, Qatar, Kuwait and Bahrain, most people expect to come only for maybe two or three years. And I've been there 13 years <laughs> and I want to stay. So uh, it was not part of my initial plan, but um, I've been there for over a decade now.
0: Okay, so now you worked in Abu Dhabi, and now you're in Dubai. In the early days, it was very different for you, wasn't it, as opposed to today where you're well-known and have had extensive executive experience with Mubadala and others? So it's very different.
1: Yes. Actually, when I first joined the, the UAE, I took my first position as a vice president of performance and reward. I was working for a regional conglomerate with its headquarters in Dubai called Majid Al-Futayn. And uh, after that, I went to Abu Dhabi to work uh, for Mubadala, which is a government-owned sort of investment fund slash private equity uh, organization. And after Mubadala, I left Mubadala to set up my own company. So to be an independent consultant in performance and reward. And that has been since when? 2013 now. So I've just actually entered my eighth year. And it's been such a journey. In the beginning, I was probably... One of the very few, if not the only independent consultant in compensation and benefits in the, the UAE. All the others were working for large consultancy firms. And nobody knew it was even possible for a solopreneur to make it as a, as a consultant in CompendBEN. But now people know me. And so, yes, as you've said, it's a big difference I get referrals and I get to speak at events and conferences. So I got a lot of exposure and people have gotten used to the idea of the independent boutique consultancy, shall we say, rather than uh, necessarily going to the, to the big ones. So that's a nice change, at least for me.
0: Congratulations on your success in, in dealing with uh, that culture there. So tell me, are you living in one of these Beautiful high-rises, or are you out on one of those spoke leaves that we see?
1: Uh, no, I'm not on the, the pan, uh, but I am in one of the high-rises in an area which is up and coming. It's called the uh, Barsha Heights, which always makes me smile because UAE is very flat. I mean, especially in the area where I live so, But it's a very nice place for the architecture, very interesting for the architecture. In the UAE, if you like modern architecture, you are in paradise. I mean, it's uh, really nice.
0: Oh, that's great. Okay, so now what I want to ask you about is digital and robots and AI. So in the world of international comp and ben, is this regular or are you a pioneer in this?
1: I would say that not many organizations have at least in my part of the world have already embarked on a full digitalization of their HR processes. But for those who start, most of them start with work which is driven by the typically the compensation and benefits team, because the component team is often the more like Techie position within HR, they are the most, let's say, open to calculations and and this kind of stuff. So they start with talent analytics and from there, for those who have a bigger workforce and therefore a bigger pool of data, they can dive into questions that are more driven towards prediction and using the support of either artificial intelligence or at least automation. So this is starting to come in the region. Less advanced than in the U.S., but it's starting to come in our region as well.
0: I have to ask you about ladies, women in business in GCC. Are you one in a million, or are there many?
1: That's a very good question, actually. So I would say there are two types. There are the local ladies, the Emirati ladies, and there are the expat ladies. The government is pushing a lot for female empowerment in the region that might sound weird i mean given the maybe ideas that we might have about the region and there are some very prominent females especially in government on some of the very visible um, uh, ministries in the government fewer uh, ladies entrepreneurs from a uae point of view except for those who own a restaurant or nail salon or something like that but female entrepreneurs who are the ones like driving their own business and being the face of their business. Like, for example, I would be a fewer on the Emirati side, while on the expat side for the ones who are female entrepreneurs, they tend to be the ones who are really creating the work and delivering the work rather than uh, maybe owning a store or a shop or managing others to do the the job. So those are like, I would say, slightly two different ways of being... uh, Self-reliant in terms of income.
0: Okay. So what is new and exciting in your world of international comp and ban?
1: Oh, many things. So I think um, I would say if we look at what's happening specifically with the pandemic at the moment, what we see, I would say two main, maybe three main things. There is a sense of reevaluation of the value of work when we see that all these essential workers are the people who are either females because they are the nurses and the assistant nurses, caretakers in the elder care homes, and they were doing this invisible work, or who are also frontline workers like doing delivery and so on. and In our part of the world, they tend to be mostly men coming from the Asian uh, subcontinent, And so those positions which were not very visible and not much seen uh, are becoming more important. And I think that a lot of people are starting to realize that the value of work shouldn't necessarily only be driven by criteria that we're using for job evaluation purposes, which are very kind of mechanical, but don't really look at the impact of the work on society at large and the necessity of those roles. So I think in the midterm, the pandemic making us realize These jobs are actually important and actually a lifeline for all of us. Uh, We probably drive organizations to pay more attention to different criteria in how they evaluate jobs and how they position uh, jobs. Because uh, as of today, there wouldn't be many people who would say that a nurse is not as important as a CEO. For example, so this will probably in the long term have some impact about how we distribute pay. Do we still need to have like a difference of uh, 100 times what the CEO is making to the average worker in an organization and so on? I'm not saying everybody should be paid the same, but maybe organizations or at least certain organizations will try to have a bit less spread and a bit more value put for those uh, type of jobs. So that would be the first one. On the second thing that I think is going to be impacted, I think it's from the benefits point of view. It's mostly a cultural barrier, which is smashing at the moment, I feel, is the importance of mental health, the how employers can support their employees to be in a good place mentally so that they can be productive at work. Obviously, in the Arab world where I live, this is a challenge, which was a little bit hidden in society before. It was a little bit taboo to talk about mental health issues. But now people are realizing as we're going through a collective shock, collective uh, stress and collective grief as well, given the number of people dying, that this is really important to take care of and uh, this will become more easily uh, talked about in organizations and taken care of by employers in terms of the uh, support that they offer to their employees. So I think this is going to be uh, important as well.
0: So what about the generational change, if we could uh, go back to that for a second, between the generations?
1: Yes. So this is really, really important. I read today that I think it's in the U.K., by 2040, that there would be more people aged 25, 85 and above than there would be in the whole workforce. And obviously, when we see that today, a lot of the people who are dying in the pandemic are the older people, we have to also think about how we're taking care of the elder population. So people will live longer. And I think companies are going to have to prepare better for Flexible work for people who are maybe starting to be like 50 and above or 55 and above so that they can start to transition out, but so that they're not lost to the workforce. And I think this is going to be a really fundamental shift in how we approach work, because today, let's be honest, there's still a bit of ageism in society and above a certain age, you know, if you become unemployed, it becomes more difficult to find a job and so on. I would say, however, in, specifically in the region where I live, this is not an issue at all. The local population in the GCC is overwhelmingly young. So like in the UAE, I think that about 65% of the population is below the age of 25 years old of the Emiratis. And the expats that come in, uh, in the GCC are mostly uh, people who are relatively young. They tend to be mostly in the 20 to 44 years, years old age range. So obviously, in the workforce composition of the GCC, this is not going to be a challenge. The challenge is more about diversity and inclusion and making sure that people from all places of the world have opportunities to grow and uh, develop their skills in the, in the environment. But on a global basis, definitely uh, multi-generation uh, aging workforce are going to be huge, huge uh, topics in the years to come.
0: What about the business environment right now? Is there business going on?
1: It's very difficult. So we've been in a full lockdown. And not only do we have the pandemic impact, but obviously as still oil-driven economies, we are even more impacted with the challenges of the oil prices that are happening uh, at the moment. Part of it being, I think, structural, and part of it being maybe more like some decisions that were made by uh, the leaders of OPEC to go into some sort of market share bid with Russia and trying to continue to uh, produce as much. And it happened exactly, so that was really a conflagration of timing, happened exactly at the moment when the economy stopped because of the virus. So obviously not only a lot more production, but a lot less demand. So both at the same time was very bad. So at the moment, the business is not doing so good in, uh, in our region. But I would say as we are emerging countries, we tend, and I, I was in the UAE after the global crisis and the, the crisis tends to be like a V shape. So there's a very steep decline, but typically a very rapid rebound as well. While in Europe, what I've seen was more of a slow, going down but staying low for a longer period of time and much slower recovery so if if things are going to happen like they did in uh, in the past we will probably have a, a more rapid recovery than more established economies because there is still growth inherently in our countries to be uh, to be had
0: so there's still a lot of people from the UK and from Europe or <laughs> India
1: Yes, there are still a lot of people. What I've been hearing, but I'm absolutely not able to confirm from data because we don't have statistics or communication. I'm hearing that a lot of Western expats are currently uh, leaving the GCC. I think the pandemic is making a lot of people reassess whether they really want to be that far away from their families. And uh, in periods of uh, cost constraints, Because the labor market is a lot more flexible in the GCC than it would be in Western Europe, where there is a lot of protection against, you know, being laid off and how the employers can take care of it. In the UAE and the GCC, it can happen like almost overnight that you lose your job. So I think that some people have have lost the job and they might come back or they might not come back. And if they don't come back, they will probably be replaced like in previous crises, by cheaper expats. So people who are coming from, let's say Egypt or Lebanon and so on who are educated or India educated, but a bit cheaper as a workforce than the Westerners would be. But we see also a lot of laborers leaving because if, for example, construction sites, are stopped and uh, don't expect to start work again uh, on a full scale, all those labor workers would be sent back home to their home countries as well. So I think it's on both ends of the spectrums that we see more, more departures.
0: So it's really interesting, isn't it, about this disease, this virus, that how it's gone around the world and yeah. how it's impacting so many different people. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's like a bad movie.
1: Yeah, I will tell you actually, um so my, my business model has been impacted on a personal level. So the way that I work and normally I'm a consultant and a trainer and uh, the work that I do is uh, very much face to face. I don't do so much uh, remote work. I tend to integrate myself with my clients. So I tend to spend like three weeks if I have a longer assignment with a client, three weeks per month with the client And I embed myself with the clients. So I don't do like some of the larger consultancies who operate in their own offices and only come for a client visit. I operate almost like an outsourced person, if you will. I'm not outsourced because I'm independent, but I like to be at the client side to learn more about their culture and so on. But obviously, (laughs) I'm training. I was delivering in public classes and face to face. Uh, So obviously I've had to pivot my business model and I have had to figure out a way to getting paid online, which is, would you believe, is not so easy in the UAE because there are restrictions and like we cannot use Stripe where you just click a button and get paid over the internet. People enter their credit card information. So it's a little bit more complicated for us, but I've had to rebalance my uh, business model to try and say, hey, can I deliver some trainings online online? And maybe I make it cheaper because I would have a bigger audience. So it's a whole different way of thinking because you don't deliver the training in the same way. And currently, with my main client, we are also all working from home. So everything is done remote. And so it's also a change. And it's an interesting for me because it shows me that I could do maybe in the future, a hybrid of face-to-face and online delivery, even within the same client, but it's been a scramble, to be honest, especially in the beginning. It was like, ah, <laughs> what do you know, I do? What,
0: what do we do? It's like, yes, exactly. Uh, again,
1: exactly. So, exactly.
0: yeah. So let's talk about your publication, Compensation Insider. That's yes. very, very attractive and it's also fun to read. So, Thank you. <laughs> how often do you update your publication, Compensation Insider?
1: I used to write very often. In the beginning, I was putting out two to three articles per week. Lately, to be honest, less active. I've had more work on the, with the clients, but also I've been thinking of moving more to audio. So that's why I'm so pleased to do the interview with you, because I realized that if I have uh, most of my uh, audience is non-English speaker as a native language, And it's more difficult to read a different language than it is to listen to it. And so I think that if I provide more audio, I will probably be able to reach more people because it's easier. Everybody in the UAE speaks English. Not everybody reads it very comfortably. Not everybody writes it very comfortably. But everybody speaks it and understands it. So I think this is where I'm going to head in the future.
0: Since pandemic and people out of work or working from home, the Zoom and video is really taken off. But yes. as, as you know, sometimes it doesn't look as good as what we have right now, and it's very unstable and depends on the signal strength and whatever. But audio, i.e. talk radio, is what we're doing. Yes. Since 2010, we've done over 100 broadcasts
1: and i think also hearing the voice so in the beginning when i was listening to myself all i can hear is my french accent and i'm like ah <laughs> i don't like it but actually people tell me no but it's you so it makes us feel like we know you and i realized that i had the same kind of tend to have the same kind of reaction if i listen to people on podcasts i feel like i know them better they're still full strangers than those that I'm reading the the blog posts from. So right. uh, I think the audio has this advantage for us. We are people of stories and hearing is very important. So the audio, that's why this format is so powerful. And that's why it's so nice to be able to talk with you today, for example.
0: Yes, it's delightful. I know since we first met in 99 in Paris. <laughs> yes, so many, <laughs> so many years ago. So many years ago. I think to myself, what a wonderful.